0: you press play on the podcast so you might as well get some of this the brian campbell coming at you with a bonus edition of the in this corner podcast it's a special wwe interview episode we appreciate all the support we've received so much for this podcast i'm talking about everyone who has subscribed rated reviewed and spread that word on social media that we wanted to reward you with a bonus drop of that performance enhancing audio that you know and love. We have a pair of interesting chats to share with you, including four time raw women's champion, Charlotte flair and Cruiserweight weight contender Austin Aries, but it's been a busy week to begin with for in this corner. So do me a favor, check out our ward Kovalev two boxing episode for Monday with Rafe Bartholomew and our this week in WWE show with Nick Costas and Adam Silverstein, previewing Sunday's Money in the Bank pay-per-view from St. Louis. So without further ado, let's hear from Charlotte Flair herself ahead of Sunday's historic card. Enjoy. Charlotte, every time I've interviewed you, had the privilege to over the past year and a half, it seems like it's another, you know, advancement for women's wrestling. Another first. You seem to be in the middle of a lot of these. (laughs) So what's the significance this time around for the first women's Money in the Bank match for you specifically?
1: Uh, I think being a multi-women match. uh, Hell in a Cell was me versus Sasha, and then this one now, there's five of us, which adds another element.
0: Yeah, no question about it. When it comes to the timeline of how you found out and, and really what your reaction was, how did that play out?
1: I think we were all surprised, especially the Tuesday when it broke down and I put Natalia through the announce table, uh, and Shane McMahon announced the first ever women's ladder match. Uh, I, I don't think it really hits you till the day of, to be honest, because it's not something that we've ever been a part of. So the anticipation, the excitement, the the nerves, all kind of don't become real till the day
0: of. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the sort of kickoff, the announcement of on that SmackDown episode a few weeks back because that sort of came off with a bang. I mean, you had a wild brawl. You had people going through tables. <laughs> For you, how important was that to sort of set a tone of what fans can expect from this match? I think we needed to show that we were, you
1: know, going to give it our all that we were capable of being able to put being able to be put in a ladder match because there is an element of danger when you add the ladders. So with all, you know, with going through the announce table, with, you know, Becky Lynch coming off the guardrail on a Carmella and the moonsault and putting that through the table, it's all, you know, pulling out all the stops. And that's what uh, this group of women is willing to do.
0: There's a long history, of course, in WWE with great ladder matches, great money in the bank. You know, it's, it's an expected event that people get fired up for. I'm sure you've watched a ton as a fan. So what do you think are sort of the ingredients that make these type of ladder matches so memorable? Obviously, they're
1: memorable just because of the high risk and the, oh, and the odds, oh, and then, you know, the one person going up the ladder to get the briefcase and they don't get it and then somebody else but what makes ours a little different or different is it's the first ever women's ladder match. There will be the first ever missed Money in the Bank so the creative opportunity is limitless but we also have a story, you know, there's the welcoming committee um, you know, I'm now reunited with Becky Lynch who we were in PCB together So, and then there's there's a story within a story, but you know who is going to be the
0: first to ever Miss Money in the Bank? Yeah, no, no doubt. That's that's the big reveal. That's the big surprise. Everybody can't wait, wait for. I'm sure you internally, mentally, I'm sure you sort of went through <laughs> this same process ahead of Hell in a Cell, right? It's like you know, can yeah. we deliver a match that that lives up to the to the you know the expectations to the level that people expect. How does this preparation compare to that for you in terms of, let's say, nerves, in terms of, you know, you wanting every everything to be perfect?
1: Honestly, I think it gets harder every time because, yes, it was the first ever Hell in a Cell, and not only the first ever Hell in a Cell, Sasha was performing in her hometown. So that pressure as well, um, the pressure of it being a singles, but, uh, you know, always wanting to outdo what we've done before is, I think, the layers of pressure. And this is just another step in the women's revolution. And we want to keep that momentum going. So, obviously, on Sunday, we want to nail it. And that pressure, I know um, Tamina has to feel it. Natalia has to feel it. Especially, you know, Carmella probably being the newest in the mix has to feel that. Um, I know Becky does. So, and there's so many. Uh, plus, there's not two people. There's five people. You, uh, I, I'm sure everyone is. Pro- you know, saying their prayers for Sunday that
0: it turns out well. <laughs> you know, everyone's, diff- everyone's different in how they approach, you know, athletics, performance, all of that in terms of, like we said, battling those nerves. Are you somebody who's, you know, tied up tight in a ball, almost like, you know, we hear the legend of Randy Savage that he was so meticulous with, with every detail or are you more <laughs> loose? Or are you more loose heading into the big event? How do you handle it? Oh!
1: I try to keep a level of calm the day of and the nerves and the excitement and the anxiety um, all kind of stack on each other and when I walk through that curtain I can feel all of my emotion. so I don't, lo- I don't show anything until you know the bell rings I think it's a matter of trying to harness every emotion I feel and keeping it under whether I'm nervous and i want to cry or whether i'm you
0: know i just i try to harness all of that emotion so i can put it into the match right you know big part of you sort of creating this iconic image for yourself and this early legacy you're building is your robes they've been spectacular and they get better with each (laughs) big event and you know there's there's a connection there with with sort of the the standard your dad set but for the for what you've been doing lately, I mean, do you know the number of the amount of robes you've worn, and, and how much of a hand have you had in creating these?
1: Oh, man. Um, so, Terry Anderson, I have to give her a shout-out, because she has made these robes come to life. Um, we, I mean, the WrestleMania robe this year in Orlando, the Peacock, we had been planning for almost a year the minute that WrestleMania ended in Dallas when I did the blue robe and I wanted it to be just like my dad's and we used the same pieces from his robe in Orlando when he retired. But um, the peacock robe, we actually was like, I want to symbolize my dad's career coming full circle. And a lot of the 80s magazines, they had his robes look like a peacock, so that's how I came up with that idea. But then the peacock theme, you know, the fans had such overwhelming praise and how pretty it was that that's why I kept the blue. I did a blue gear with peacock feathers and then I, you know, I might keep the bird theme, but every robe has a thought behind it in terms of my dad. But, um, I think I have seven robes now.
0: That's crazy. Wow. Wow. Are they, are they, are they they in a safe? Are they in a random closet? I mean, how, how do you, how do you keep these? Are they, are these real, each one have a memory and a story where, where you want to preserve them?
1: Yeah, I definitely want to preserve them, but, um, I always like upping my wardrobe game on TV. So I try to switch them out, um, every Tuesday, but, um, yeah, they have a huge, uh, I guess dresser that they stay in with
0: our seamstresses to keep them safe because they're so heavy. Wow! Wow! Love the the inside baseball you're sharing us with here with with us here. Uh, I have an intriguing question. Look, Charlie, you built you know in, in let's say the first two years on the main roster an incredible launch of a legacy. Like there's the tie into your father, which adds pressure, but but also helps you. But you know you're already fielding the hey, is this the greatest female performer we've ever seen? You know, you've you've already had memorable breakthrough matches. How often, though, do you sort of have to check your own ego to sort of say, you know, I've done all that, but, you know, let's not start, you know, reading my own headlines and believing them. How much are you your own, you know, worst critic to check yourself in that regard?
1: I think because I love what I do so much that I don't even think about the headline. Because you can't. Like, uh, I co- I constantly think about what's wrong with my character and what I need to do better than what I'm doing right. Yeah. And maybe that's a fault. But it's almost, and I don't want to say, oh, nothing's ever good enough. But I think that's more important as in, you know, the pressure that I always put on myself of always wanting to hit a home run. Now, that can take a toll on you, that's either good or bad, but every time I walk through that curtain, whether it's a minute or 30 minutes, I always want to hit a home run, so there's always that pressure, and whether you let that, you know, hurt you or you don't, but I, I still, when people are like, oh, it's another, you know, part of this first ever women-making history, I kind of just let it go in one ear and out the other, because I think, like, oh, well, I wouldn't be on the phone with you guys today if it wasn't for, you know, the Four women and NXT. Or my first ever NXT title match with Natalia, Or, you know, being able to wrestle Nikki Bella with a Divas title. I just kind of think that all of us women together have gotten here. And I'm just a part of this great era of women wrestling. That, you know, if you would have asked me four and a half years ago, I would have been like, wrestling? Uh, probably not. You know what I mean? Like, I try not to, it's not that I don't try to, but I don't, I really don't, sometimes I have to, like, oh yeah, like, I'm famous. Like, when you catch me outside of work.
0: (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Definitely. I
1: don't, I don't really think about
0: it. That's it, that's that's interesting. I like the way you break that down. Well, you're going to have a chance to make much more history, of course, Sunday at Money in the Bank in St. Louis. Charlotte, thanks so much for the time. Best of luck for you in this match and moving forward. Love the inside baseball there from Charlotte about the mindset that goes into being a WWE champion. Great stuff. Hey, look, I also popped for the reminder that her robe at WrestleMania this year in Orlando had pieces of her father, Ric Flair's robe sewn into it from his final WWE match. All oh, in the same building, right? In Orlando, WrestleMania 24, 2008, again, it's HBK. Great symmetry there. Had a pop for that, but let's keep the interview train rolling. I'm excited to share my conversation with Austin Aries, who, really quietly arguably doing the best work of his career recent months that feud with cruiserweight champion neville has been fantastic and at 39 after a long journey to get here aries finally at the pinnacle of his profession he's got a new book he hopes to share with you as well left the banana peel behind for this one of course but let's hear from a double let me just hit you straight up ask you about this new memoir food fight my plant powered journey from the bingo halls to the big time great title there What I picked up from your website, though, the description, it's not a book about veganism. It's not really about wrestling either. So the obvious question, what is this book about, my man?
2: Yeah, I think it's just about life, right? And uh, life and the choices we have in front of us and, uh, you know, the the journey we kind of all take to get to where we're at. And this is just kind of my journey from a cheese-eating, broad-eating, Midwestern boy to uh, a completely plant-based professional wrestler,
0: sports entertainer. You caution there that, that the book just might change the reader's lives, which is cool. So what do you hope people t- will really get from this that they can apply to their lives?
2: Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing is um, when I started actually taking time to learn about the food I was eating, uh, it, it opened my eyes to a lot of uh, realities that I wasn't aware of. And so while this isn't a book trying to make anybody become vegan overnight or anything like that, it is a book about telling people to take a closer look at the food. Our food our food system, I call it a corporate food system that we're kind of in. And uh really, you know, that choice that we make of what to put in our put in our body and eat on a daily basis, I think is as important of a decision as anything else we do. Our our health and our well being is, is the foundation we build everything else on top of. And um You know, I just think for for everybody to take a closer look at at, at eating and the realities of it and and maybe make some uh, better, more mindful decisions.
0: Well, the book coincides with with a really, you know, I I would think important part of your career. Finally getting to WWE. For guys in, in their late 30s, established names, and there's been a run of them, you, AJ Styles, Bobby Roode, Eric Young, to make this leap after being so established outside the company was this your intended goal all along, or does it feel more like a cherry on top, considering the success you did have before getting to WWE?
2: It is a uh, it's a huge, huge cherry on top for me. You know, um, when I started this uh, when I started this journey, crazy journey, whatever, seventeen years ago, my goal was really just to, I want to do this for a living. I want to wake up and and sound a professional wrestler, and uh, I pay and I pay my bills doing such. Um, and I was able to accomplish that after, after about four years, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I've been, so over the last and years, I've considered myself a full-time professional wrestler and I've done, I had done everything I really wanted to accomplish. Uh, and the, and the last thing I hadn't done was, was make it to, uh, to WWE. And, um, you know, I, I think for some of us who were on the other side of 30 and, and just knowing, uh, kind of their policies over the years. You maybe had to become comfortable with the, the notion that, that maybe it wasn't in the cards for you uh, for whatever reason, um, which I was okay with. Uh, but then when the opportunity presented itself, uh, you, you take it and, and you don't turn back. And, you, and if, you, if you believe in yourself and what you do, um, that's the opportunity that you take every day of the week and uh, you bet on yourself because, uh, that's the pinnacle that's the place you become a household name and, and can really cement yourself uh in a legacy moving forward
0: how has this journey now with wwe been different than you expected it to be all those years climbing the ladder
2: um I, you know i don't know if it's i don't know if i ever had a clear vision of what it was going to be so i don't know that i can say it's different i will say that um the schedule and and the pace that it moves with is is incredibly challenging right um the amount of work that, that the superstars that we all put in on, in on the road and traveling. I I don't know if, uh, the, the normal fan can really understand and appreciate, uh, just how much time is spent on the road and and how much time is spent working and, and everything moves so quick, you know, um, WWE produces a lot of content, uh, on a lot of different mediums, whether it's their social media platforms, their network, the, the cable television, the live events, um, it's insane and the amount of people and that they have working on that i mean the team that they have is amazing there's so many people that go into making this show run uh, and a lot of ones that that you never hear about or, or never will get the adulation of the spotlight you know the people working behind the scenes um and so really i think just just seeing how well uh well of an oiled machine it is and how such a large entity can run so efficiently has been very impressive and then also just the amount of work and the speed and and at uh, which the schedule moves, uh, incredibly uh, challenging. Which just shows just how good of professionals uh, each and every one of the men and women are.
0: Uh, it's funny. Each time I interview a top superstar, you always bring up that fun question of, you know, finding that wingman on the road to sort of, you know, uh, not annoy you to even you out. Roman Reigns said, if I didn't have R-Truth, I wouldn't be this. I wouldn't be the, the, the guy I am today. Is there somebody that you grabbed onto right away with WWE to travel with?
2: So, you know, I'll be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a loner in that regard. Um, just because I do kind of like to roll on my own schedule, and I, I might like to eat at places that that other guys might not normally eat, uh, or my driving schedule. Uh, I, you know, I've I've, I've ridden with uh, Titus, you know, which has been an interesting experience. Titus is a cool cat, and uh, and he's got a great story, and is, is really a great dude. Who's uh, done a lot of cool things in his community, and, and, to, and to help and to help out just at his TED talks, which is awesome accomplishment for him. So no doubt, uh, you know. I, I rode with T- Titus a couple times and, and Seamus, you know, and, uh, but see, like, you a arrive with Seamus or Titus and I'm going, guys, well, I gotta go find the tanning salon. And <laughs> these
1: guys are just,
0: they're
2: both looking at me like, well, we don't, you know, we're good, you know? So, I mean, that's one of those things where I'm like, see, yeah, I should just travel myself. You
0: know? Seamus <laughs> is like, yeah. don't, don't change the gimmick on me. I'm, it's working here. Yeah, this- right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Titus, well, he's just,
0: Oh yeah. Well, I've been a, you know, a big defender of all things cruiserweight in WWE since the launch launch last year. I love the simplicity and the booking on two Oh five live. And I think the, you know, that in-ring work is really the best stuff that you'll see in the company on Tuesday nights, but there's the critics, right? They can't get over the purple ropes. They think it, it brings down the product. You're one of the stars of two Oh five live and raw. Do the purple ropes do anything negative for you?
2: Uh, they don't do anything negative for me uh i could take or leave the purple ropes if if it's conjuring up negative feelings on on other people though then uh you know that maybe that's something to listen to i don't know Uh, i just feel bad for the ring crew who has to you know tape it on tape ropes multiple times and i think about all the purple tape that we're wasting just as as an environmentalist Uh, not that anyone (laughs) not that anyone cares about that but um uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I understand uh, the purpose of it. It kind of it brands us and it makes it makes us unique. And so they understand that, you know, every color tends to have their brand, whether Raw has red, SmackDown has blue, and, and obviously then 205 is is purple. So I think that's really the concept behind it. And uh, at the end of the day, if, if people want to get hung up on the color of the ropes, then maybe they're watching this for the wrong entertainment
0: yeah yeah no no question about that well you had a obviously a a great run there with neville i I really think it's going to be in the discussions for feud of the year when all is said and done the you know the work in the ring was incredible but i thought you really you know and i assume this was maybe your helping but i thought neville really come out of his skin as a storyteller psychology on the microphone some of his best work how special was this feud when you look back at at some of the more memorable ones in, in your career
2: I'm extremely proud of what uh, what we were able to accomplish uh, over the course of this uh, past you know few months. Um, you know Me and Neville aren't, aren't so different at at the end of the day. We both have uh, similar chips on our shoulders. We've both been probably discounted out in times in our career by, by the same types of people. And, um, and we both have a real love and passion for professional wrestling and the art form that it is. So to be able to go and invest the emotion and the time and the story with with someone like that for a few months on the platform we were able to do it on, uh, has been a great experience. And, uh, again, you know, I can't say enough good things about, about him as a, as a talent, as a person. And, uh, you know, you know, tip my cap to him and everything that he's
0: accomplished. Well, before you, you kicked off that feud, of course, still nursing that eye injury, You're in the commentary booth, and it it wasn't just, you know, keeping time until until you can get back out there. I mean, you were doing, you know, I approached you at the catering area at Royal Rumble. I'm like, you're doing Jesse Ventura work, and I don't throw that word around easily. How did you sort of prepare for that role? Because, you know, it's not just to be funny, but it's to be a believable heel on the microphone who can sort of get away, you know, with with ripping the superstars in the ring. You don't see enough of that these days. So what was your sort of preparation to, to cultivate that character?
2: You know, I don't know that I had any real preparation. It's kind of funny because they had me do like a dry run, you know, that day, uh, you know, or maybe it was either the week before or something. They had me come in and just do it. Not obviously not in front of cameras, but just kind of do a dry run and back. And even that, well, you know, I think I, they told me afterwards, like after the initial one, they were kind of looking at each other, like kind of like, we're not sure this guy's going to be able to handle this. Like, you know, uh, that was that wasn't very good, but when you get out there and the red light goes on and it's, and it's live and you're in it and, and the people are there. Um, you know, I think just as a, as a performer something, you just, you turn something on. And, uh, you, know, you mentioned some like Jesse Ventura, which I take as a huge compliment. I've, I've heard, you know, Bobby Heenan turn out there, which I, I take as a even, a even larger compliment as, as two of my favorite, uh, not only commentators, but performers. And, um, you know, I think we all in some ways were probably a little bit of a reflection of our influences, whether we know it or not, the people that we watched growing up, whether it's if you're a musician, the type of music that you love growing up is going to be influenced by what you play. And and as a, uh, a professional wrestler, I feel like the people I grew up watching who I appreciated have all in some ways kind of infiltrated and permeated who I've become as, as a character and performer. So, um, you know, it was a great experience. I think there's always a fine line of, uh, you know, adding the uh, the color to the commentary but also making sure that we're, we're always coming back and we're telling the story that's, that's in the ring and that and that the competitors are in there putting their putting their body on the line to tell and I think that I think that the nice dynamic is as someone who's knows what it's like to be in that ring and and uh, be performing um, I know that I want my I know that I want my commentators uh, enhancing that you know and not taking away from that so I'm always mindful of while while I might have a lot of one liners and, and you know, my my wit is quick and there's a lot of, trust me, you're usually getting my third or fourth comment because the first three are not PG. <laughs> so you're you're usually getting like my fourth best line, trust me. But the first three are not, you know, I can't say those anymore. So uh but but beyond all that it's always it's always about what's going on in the ring. And that's always my mindset that it all comes back to what's going on in the ring.
0: And you weren't turned off by anybody in gorilla yelling in your ear at all. That was not a turn off for you.
2: I, I don't know what anyone else talks about. I got nothing but sweet pleasantries in my ear and a lot of laughter. So, <laughs> whatever else, everyone else's horror stories, I, I can't attest to that.
0: Well, you were you ran a, a strong run as a babyface against Neville, but I love you as a heel, always has. What goes into, for you personally, to be a great heel?
2: I, I just try to go out there and, you know, just be, be myself, you know? I mean, and, and and honestly, you know, in trying to be myself, I've, I've come to realize that it's harder to make people like me than to dislike me because I just give off an aura or when people just see me or I walk into a room and the way I carry myself or maybe it's my weird looking beard or the fact that I'm vegan. I don't know. People just seem to automatically not like me, right? I'm a dislikable type of guy. If you tend to get to know me, uh, I'm not so bad. Uh, or some people might say I'm even worse depending on who you talk to. But, um, it's always been easier for me to get under people's skin than it has to get them on my side. And, um, you know, sometimes I'm asked to not get under people's skin as much, and I do my best. And uh, sometimes I'm asked to get people on my side a little bit, and, and, I, and I try to accomplish that uh, begrudgingly. But uh, at my best, I'm, I'm, I'm walking out there. Uh, I'm looking at you with, with contempt and disdain. I'm letting all that come out. Uh, and, and I'm getting under your skin, and I'm making you want to see anybody, anybody walk out of that curtain and punch me in the mouth.
0: <laughs> it's a great way to look at it. Two quick ones on the way out here. Will we see down the road a main roster run for you? Is that your goal?
2: Wait, was I not on Monday Night Raw? Was I not at WrestleMania?
0: Uh, that's a fair comeback, absolutely. Oh,
2: okay. okay. So, so I guess that answer the question is yes, I have been. I have been doing that. <laughs>
0: Finally, my favorite question to ask everybody, which finisher hurts the most and why?
2: Uh, Well, uh, currently, if you're asking me, I'm going to have to say Neville's leaves of Saturn because uh, after I tapped out of it, I... I literally had nothing left to do but to just kind of laugh at the world and grin and bear it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, my man. The The book is Food Fight, My Plant-Powered Journey from the Bingo Halls to the Big Time. Austin Aries, thanks so much for the time. Best of luck for you on this project, man. I appreciate
2: it, man. Yeah, everyone obviously can go right to the website, Austin Aries Book, and then keep keep uh, on my Twitter and my Instagram, at Austin Aries and at Austin Healy Aries, respectively. And I might be coming to a town near you soon and, and do a little book signing. So keep a lookout for that as well.
0: That was Austin Aries, who maybe it's just me, but I think he's a guy who can really do some damage on the main roster over the next couple of years, you know, separated from the purple ropes of the cruiserweight division. He can talk once that red light goes on, like he said, and he can really go inside the ring as well. Thanks so much to both of our guests on this week's bonus episode. And just a reminder, along with our boxing and WWE weekend review episodes that are available now at Apple podcasts and everywhere else, be on the lookout Monday morning for the money in the bank, instant analysis pod. It's the perfect tonic for a case of the Mondays is in this corner. Continues to invade your personal space. Guys, The Invasion Angle is ongoing. We're coming for your free time. I want you to want me. So for Charlotte Flair and Austin Aries, this is the Brian Campbell. Thanks so much for listening, and I've got two words to send you out of here. We out.